Raised on D&D Podcast helps to enrich your family's gaming experience by bringing you interviews with parents, educators, game designers, and influencers. Join us as we delve into the many ways that tabletop role-playing games inspire creativity, develop communication skills, and create long-lasting bonds among players. Your host has been an avid gamer since childhood, and now his kids are being raised on D&D. Here is your host, Nick Cardarelli. Welcome back, gamers. I'm your host, Nick Cardarelli, and this is Raised on D&D. My next guest is originally from Maine, but currently lives and works in Charlotte, North Carolina. You know her as the Dungeon Master for Clinical Role, a live play D&D game in which all of the players are psychologists and or therapeutic GMs. Please welcome the brilliant Dr. Megan Connell. Dr. Megan, welcome back to Raised on D&D. We haven't seen you since season three, episode two, and we're so excited <laughs> to have you back on the show. How have you been? Well, it's, you know, it's been an interesting couple of years. You know, just a few things have happened, but I'm doing very well. Because <laughs> I think I talked with you guys before the pandemic, right? Yeah, we were kind of, it was just kicking off. Yeah. How has your role-playing game therapy and your practice and all that changed since the pandemic? Yeah. Well, so uh, my games had to go online, um, mm -hmm. which was a whole different beast. And so like, I found out for myself, like I can certainly GM online and run games online, but running a therapeutic game online was a particular challenge. Uh, it's not something I think, like I could do them, but what I was noticing in my online games versus the face-to-face -face games was growth that I would normally see around session four or five was happening around like session seven or eight in the online wow. games. So it was still happening, which is really good, but it was definitely slowed. And uh, what I'm understanding from the research that we're getting from the pandemic that the face-to-face -face therapy over telehealth, just as effective as in the room. Um, so telehealth and face-to-face -face pretty much on par with each other. Group therapy, it really depends on the type of group, the types of group that we're doing with processing through using games, um, you know, tabletop role playing games uh, tends to not work quite as well online as it does face to face. Um, wow. And uh, what, what do you think is the is the main component of that? I think a lot of it is the ability for people to talk at the same time. Um, because in any type of, you know, group chat format, video chat format, um, if people are talking over each other, you really can't hear. Whereas when we're in the same room, two players can kind of whisper together and make a plan of something that they're going to do. Or, you know, somebody can point to something on their character sheet and say, like, wait, I don't understand. Can you tell me what this does? And you, you lose that in the video set, you know, video setting. Um, it was better than nothing, which was awesome. But it, it's been a been a journey. And yeah, I actually like in the time too, I left the practice I was at and I'm in the process of opening my own practice with a business partner. It's called Health Quest Innovative Therapeutics. We are going to have a gaming room. Um, we are super duper excited about it. We're like uh, designing how the space is going to look has been one of the great joys of opening uh, your own, pra our own practice along, you know, there's a lot of like anxiety and other things that come along with it but we're going to have a gaming room that's going to be themed to kind of look like a wizard's library uh so we're gonna have all the books wow. and minis and everything stored in there <laughs> our plan is to have like uh wall sconces you know with those like flickering flame uh led lights and stuff like uh, it's 
if it looks like half as cool as it looks in my head, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> so I'm and, really excited about that. And that's going to be right there in Charlotte. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it is in South Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, therapeutic gaming is going to be a humongous aspect of the whole practice. We're actually hoping to have a, a full-time therapeutic GM who's going to run uh, several games a week. I'm going to run a few games a week. So we should have, when we get to capacity, probably eight therapeutic tabletop games a week, at least. Um, so Incredible. it's it's going to be really exciting. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. And what a wonderful thing for the community there in Charlotte to be able to participate in. So Dr. Megan, you have, it's been a couple of years since we talked. Um, how is gaming at home with your family coming along? Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. It is so, so much fun. Uh, I have been slowly introducing my kiddos to tabletop role-playing games. They're being very creative, um, loving getting magic items, um, learning how to talk to NPCs. I have been running them through one of the pre-written modules, and it's one where pretty. it's uh, great because you can go any direction you want, but it's also kind of dangerous because every NPC you talk to has a job for you. <laughs> and so they're getting that... <laughs> Skyrim-y kind of feel of like everyone I talk to wants something out of me. What do I do? <laughs> it's it's great. Some great, you know, decision making going on. But I think we recently got this awesome game that I backed on Kickstarter called The Shivers. And if you have younger kiddos, it is such an amazing game. It's pop-up scenes and these story cards slide into the back. And so someone GMs and you have a little character sheet and you it's a whiteboard, essentially, so you can write stuff on it and erase it. And you move your characters around these pop-up scenes and you can open doors and look for things. And it's got their, they magnetize together. And wow. there's this overarching story. Um, it's a small independent uh, group. They had a booth at PAX Unplugged recently and they're getting ready to launch their second Kickstarter, which is going to be an expansion to the Shivers. Um uh, it's really cool. It's really well put together. And I just, I have to put out a huge um, shout out to them. And it's fun too, because you are playing a character and like your character has like their favorite saying, the things that they're afraid of. And like those do come into play. So like the, each character's fear is going to be in some of the stories. Wow. And so like the GM is remind, you know, it's encouraged to remind the players of like your character's afraid of spiders and there's a spider big spider web over that door and they're like, "Oh yeah, my character's not going near that now." <laughs> and so like it's a really great like kind of step up into role playing and mystery gaming and stuff. So and also like kind of um uh escape rooms kind of thing too. So really fun, highly recommend. It's just the shivers. It's great. Uh, you you had me at pop-up books and role playing. So that's fantastic. I can't <laughs> wait. The shivers. We'll have to check it out. Yes, please do. <laughs> My most favorite thing is we play uh board games during dinner time a lot. And uh we just dug out Super Fight and that has been such a blast. My youngest child has a tendency of picking cards that they don't entirely understand, but they make the like their final boss tonight was Martha Stewart riding a battle cat leading an army of centaurs. Wow. <laughs> right? Like it is it is so much fun. We're having a lot of fun gaming and it, it's it's such a cornerstone of what we do in our house. Like we have uh, we got Everdale recently or Everdell. I think not Dale Dell. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but and my little Everdale, and uh, we enjoy playing that. Um, 
And if you have not seen uh, uh, Smirk and, or no, with Smirk and Dagger's comedy brand, it's Smirk and Laughter, I think. I think that's, anyway, they have a really cute game called Boop. I highly recommend it. It's kittens jumping on a bed and scaring each other. (laughs) (laughs) But it is like also very intense. Uh, My son and my husband were playing a game after dinner and it like they're, you could see the steam coming off their heads as they're trying to figure out how to boop each other's cats around this board. It was so funny and wonderful. (laughs) That is great. Mine are teenagers now, all of them, all three. And we have been exploring more serious and darker role-playing games, Call of Cthulhu, Ooh. Vampire the Masquerade. We did some Lord of the Rings. And, and so it's a new chapter in our gaming together as they're getting a little bit older and heading towards adulthood. So it's it's very interesting how uh, gaming is different now, now that they're getting older. You have a book coming out in March tabletop role-playing therapy the guide for the clinical gm um dr megan we're so excited about this book coming out it's groundbreaking work and uh, we were hoping that you could give us kind of a little preview of what's going to be in the book yeah this book it it was interesting to write um i don't know why i did this i wrote it in six months wow I don't know why I put myself under that kind of pressure deadline, but I felt the need to and I met it and it was that was really good. But um, it's it was a process. Uh, So it's split into two sections. The first section is sort of the history and the foundational theory that drives using tabletop role playing games in therapy. And then the second half is really for those who are clinically trained and want to start using tabletop role playing games in therapy. And it's enough to start to get you started in that it teaches you like the ethics we talk about issue, I have a whole chapter on diversity issues and representation and how to be mindful of problems and to understand the history of where things came from and how to have a critical eye with what you're looking at in the role-playing game community and just content out there uh talking about how to document games how to advertise your games how to set goals create therapeutic encounters through role-playing games um so it it's there's a lot in there but i also really hope that for those who are players of games that they and have learned a lot about themselves and have discovered things that they didn't know about themselves through playing tabletop games. I'm hoping that they can get something out of this too, and perhaps start to understand why it is this game can make us feel things and why it can feel so real. That that was part of the fun was there's not really any research on using tabletop games in therapy. There's really like when you compare the research that's been done on just video games and just what happens in the brain when we play video games, how video games can impact learning, behavior, all of these things. There are mountains of research on that. And that's not even a very well-studied topic. And there's almost nothing on D&D and tabletop games and role-playing games in general, which really makes, you know, writing a book like this a bit of a challenge. <laughs> you have to get a little creative with like thinking through of like, what is a role-playing game like? And starting to pull in from other sources of literature and looking at what do we know causes change in humans and how can that potentially apply to these games? And there's a lot of crossover with things. And so I think um, there's a lot to be discovered in this, um, which I hope people enjoy. 
Well, and I think that's what's so amazing about your work is that it, it really is pioneering because mm-hmm. the way I think that people react to reading a book, watching a movie, playing a video game, and playing a tabletop role-playing game is all very different in the way it affects us uh, emotionally, mentally, things like that. Just from my own experience, and we talked about this the last time, it's always been surprising to me when I've been running games and the players would have very strong, very personal, very deep emotional responses to the fantastical stimuli that's being given in the game. And so this book, I understand that it is directed towards counselors. How, though, will this book help game masters like myself and other gamers who want to read your book and kind of understand a little bit more about what tabletop role-playing games do to us? Yeah, I think that you're going to find a lot of that like in the literature review, which isn't, I, I will speak to the, it's not the most interesting chapter in the world. <laughs> it, it's very, you could skim it, but there is there is some nuggets in there that are going to go, huh, okay, that's what's going on here. Um, you know, and I think there were a few big things that I read. And when I kind of read these studies and thought about my own experiences of both playing and running games, I was like, oh my gosh, this starts to make so much more sense now. Um, and I apologize. I am terrible with names. So um, my in my head, my definition of a very good clinician and psychologist is somebody who can remember the names of the studies that they're going to cite. And I'm not going to remember the studies. So find them in my book, I guess, is what I will say. Um, there was this fascinating study. Um, well, it wasn't a study, sorry. It was a a re- uh, essentially like a theory that somebody proposed, which was talking about our ideas of reality and what is real. And like, when you go and study lots of psychology, like one of the things you start to re- realize is like, basically reality is sort of, in a lot of ways, a shared hallucination. Essentially, we just agree things are real. Wow. And that's, that's kind of the basis of reality. Now that there is something to be said of like, what is quantifiable, what is measurable, what is, you know, we can constantly measure and see things. But like so much of reality is just kind of what our brain fills in. Hmm. And it's this thing where if all reality really is, is that we all agree on something. If everybody sitting around a gaming table agrees that that story is real, air quotes around that, in a sense, it is real. In a sense, like those characters do live and exist. Yes, only in your imagination. It's not like you're having a shared delusion or something, but it is a shared reality. It's a shared experience, that shared narrative. It it feels real because on a level, it is real. Mm -hmm. And that was really fascinating because I think like one of the most dismissive things you can say to anybody playing narrative games is it's just a game. Yes. Right. Because yeah. it really isn't. And this this person's theory just like spot on was like, yes, that that is accurate. It is not just a game. It is a shared reality that we agree. You know, it's like we agree it's not real, real, but it's also real. Mm-hmm. And I like to be that just kind of made me happy to kind of sit and be like, oh, my character exists, you know, like <laughs> as long as, you know, the the five of us who played this game, you know, are alive. You know, at least one of us is alive. That character still exists. And that that just made me happy. I was like, oh, that's that's really cool. 
I think it's a very fascinating theory because when we talk about past gaming experiences with people that we've really uh, bonded with over the table, one of the things is, is that we talk in the first person. We don't yes. talk about the incident as remember that one time when our characters did this. It's when you did this and I did that. And we get really strange looks when we're having this conversation in public, right? But that shared reality, it goes deeper than just a game for us, doesn't it? It really does. And I think like that's what it really is is because like we agree that in that space you know like when we're in that at gaming table like you are no longer you you are your character i am my character and so when we're talking about things that happened in that shared space it's natural to be like do you remember when you did this or i did that and, and like it, it might be also um it, in a lot of ways like it's uh thinking about how like boxers might be talking about a, a match afterwards like Man, when you came at me with that right hook, that was imp that was a thing of beauty, right? <laughs> and like that sounds so bizarre, but when you understand the context of it, it's like, oh, that makes sense. They're sparring partners. They're talking about how they were sparring with each other. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, and so like it, it's really, really fascinating in that way. And so like to look at this stuff, it, it is interesting. And I think the other really big thing that has it so that you know these games hit us deeply is it's not us it's our character and so like having that avatar having that stand-in in the game that isn't quite us gives us permission to play with things we might not normally play with you know to try out things that we might not normally try out and like because of that we have that kind of emotional distance from it so we don't feel defensive when things are brought up about our character but then like sometimes we can reflect back on it and be like Ah, uh, that's what I do. Right? <laughs> well, Dr. Megan, it, I can't wait for the book. The book is coming out in March. Now, mm -hmm. is it in pre-order? Uh, or is it is available yes. to purchase? Uh, where online can we go to pre-order the book? Uh, if you order pre-order from the publisher, so Norton Publishing, so www.norton.com, I believe is the webpage, uh, and you can order it there. And if you use the code TTRPT20, so Tabletop Role Playing Therapy um, is the TTRPT, and then the number is 2-0, so like a natural 20, uh, you get 20% off. Oh, that's fantastic. On the pre-order. And it is also going to be an audiobook, which I just... I, when um, I signed the contract, that was something I asked for, um, but they said that they weren't sure that they were going to, but they are going forward with making it an audiobook, which I'm super excited about because that's how I mostly read is through audio. Um, I have a learning disability, so reading is a bit of a challenge for me. And so having that audiobook is really, really helpful. And I'm really excited about that. Well, and I also know that as uh, podcasters and uh, podcast listeners, we love audiobooks for that commute in and out of work, uh, being able to turn that on and go through it. That's fantastic. TTRT20 is going to be the 20% off discount through Norton Publishing. Mm -hmm. And what I'll do is on raisedondnd.com, uh, in the show notes, we'll go ahead and have all those links and the code listed. So for our listeners, they can go to the website, 
They can click on the link and they can uh, copy the code down. So you guys don't have to write anything down while you're listening. Yeah, don't don't write while you're driving. That's that's really dangerous. <laughs> yeah. There have been studies. There's not been studies on you know the benefits of playing tabletop role playing games, but there have been studies on the dangers of writing while driving. <laughs> so, so don't do that. <laughs> so we'll have all that available for everyone. So that's terrific. So we'll be able to pre-order now. Mm-hmm. It's going to be available in March. Who are you most hoping are going to not just read your book, but implement the lessons inside? I'm really, really hoping college students who are psychologically minded, thinking about getting into the field, but maybe are dealing with the old school way of doing things and thinking about how therapy has to just look like strict CBT or strict uh, behaviorism or whatever and see this like, wait a second, I could take my tabletop game and I could turn that into therapy. I could have fun doing therapy. What? Um, And because like one of the other things that I get to do is I'm on the uh, board for Leyline Geek Therapeutics um, where we do certifications in geek therapy. Uh, We hold that being a geek is its own cultural identity. And one of the standards of ethics for psychologists, at least, is to have cultural competency with the clients that you work with. And so geek therapeutics is all about connecting with geek geekdom and training people and giving trainings on like, hey, what is anime? What's in anime? And how could that be used in therapy? How do people use fan fiction in therapy? How can we use video games, tabletop games, board games, all this stuff? How can that apply to therapy? How can we see these, uh, you know, geeky IPs and stuff and utilize that as a tool set for our clients? And the cool thing about it is, is it's fun. It's so fun. Like I, I have so much fun talking about geeky themes with my clients and bringing that stuff up and being able to say like, okay, so, you know, in labyrinths, when they're walking through and the walls are talking at them, that's like your anxiety, your anxiety is telling you go back. And the closer you get to the center of the labyrinth, the louder those voices get, the more it tries to deter you, you know, and just going, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Or bringing in, you know, like themes from Dr. Strange and like, you know, it, it's, he had the ability to do this stuff. It wasn't about his limitations from his hands. It was about the limitations of his mind and how can we help that with you? And it, it's like, for me, it's this fun puzzle to solve. Uh, there was a TED talk that was done by, I think I think the kid was like 12 at the time that he gave the talk. So you have to get over the internal biases of like, oh my gosh, this 12 year old's giving a TED talk. <laughs> but it, he was talking about how his parents raised him to be a hacker. And what he was saying is that like having the hacker mentality is really important because it changes how you see the world. Because to the non-hacker, you give them a tool and they say, cool, what can I do with this? Or what does this do? Sorry, what do, what is this What does this thing do? Tell me what it does. What am, I, what am I supposed to do with this? Whereas the hacker gets this and go, huh, what can I use this for? And, and like being a geek therapist, ha- you know, seeing these different ways to bring psychology into the world, it's about how can I make this therapeutic? How can I take this and bring it into the therapy world? Like, how can this be helpful? And like, it's a lot of fun to look at the world that way and to bring things in in that way. I I think what's fascinating about what you're teaching therapists to do is really meet people where they're at. You know, 
pop culture, geek culture, it has a way of joining people, even complete strangers. When we go to conventions that have 8,000, 10,000, 60,000 attendees, to have all these people of so many different backgrounds and from so many different places to be able to come together and uh, enjoy the same types of things as a group that they've done individually, being able to talk to people in their language, for lack of a better term, uh, is really, really important. And not only uh, creating that you know, that connection, that rapport, but also making people feel safe and accepted. I can tell you that, and I think most of us can agree, that nothing shuts you down more than if you make a reference to something that you really love, like Star Wars or uh, Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, and the group of people that you're with don't understand what you're talking about at all and yeah. uh, that that really shuts you down and when you actually walk therapists through this and help them learn how to utilize geek culture uh in their therapy i mean you're you're just opening up the room to so many so many more opportunities to help people and i think that's wonderful thank you it's it's a lot of fun and it, it is cool to see people have those paradigm shifts and to understand. And like, I know for me, it is important to have somebody who can kind of get the geeky culture or at the very least not be judgmental of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, so many people are like afraid of like, if I bring up that I play tabletop games, are they going to be like, Oh, is that that thing that makes you like worship Satan? <laughs> right. Yes. Like, you know, it's just like, ugh, I don't well, want to have to educate you on what this is and stuff, right? Well, I, re I remember the dark days, uh, secret handshakes and basements. Mm -hmm. What was a, a breakthrough moment for me was I went to a local print shop to print off character sheets. And the clerk comes over and she says to me, oh, that looks interesting. What do you got there? And I remember thinking to myself, oh, okay, say board game. It's for a board game, right? Don't say Dungeons and Dragons. Don't say tabletop role-playing games. And I was like, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is 2022. Uh, I, critical Role is popular. <laughs> uh, you know, Big Bang Theory, Stranger Things. Everybody knows what this stuff is. And I said, I'm just printing off some character sheets for tonight's Dungeons and Dragons. And she went, Dungeons and Dragons? I always wanted to try that. <laughs> and I, I just thought to myself for gaming for over 30 years, how 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, that would not have been the response from the mm -hmm. probably college age student clerk behind the counter. Um, and it just shows how much more mainstream tabletop role playing games have become and how much more accessible it's become, I think, very much because uh, uh, online games and streaming has kind of pulled back the veil of what we were doing in the basement for all those years. And people said, hey, that looks like a lot of fun. Yes, completely, completely. And it's, it is, it is such a blast to play. And I really do think 
you know, Stranger Things, of course, because it was such a big hit and like they had all those tabletop themes in it. But also, you know, again, like you said, Critical Role, um, Harmon Quest, uh, Raise, you know, uh, Dimension 20, all of those things like show like what this these games can be like and what they can do for us. And it's just it's fascinating and it's so silly, you know, like um, I'm going to go off topic here for a second, but I've been watching the Willow series on Disney Plus. Yes. Which I'm going to say it's terrible in the best way possible. (laughs) Right. Like the plot, it makes no sense. Right. But it is a tabletop game. Like that is what it is. It's like, you've got your level seven fighter who's with all the level one and two noobs and like try, they're all trying to figure stuff out and their flaws are coming out all over the place and they split the party and the GM has to find a reason to bring them all back together somehow. You know, like it's just if you watch it from that lens of like this was a ridiculous tabletop game it it is just great and it's i don't know there's so much of it where it's just like yeah i could see this stuff being set around a table and it's just wonderful in that way And, and that's another another great example of how it just shows um let's see we watched willow what uh 25 years ago am maybe i maybe more it might ah. have been like 93 or 94 that it came out yeah yeah so it, it's it's close God, no, 30 it's, it's at 30 years oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so so 30 years and we've been waiting for a, a sequel or a follow-up and now we've got a spin-off that kind of thing but it shows you how how fantasy has taken a forefront in our culture and geek culture, all of that. And I think that's, I think that's wonderful that it's finally come to this point The they say that we're going through a, a renaissance of tabletop role-playing games. And I have to agree. Mm-hmm. Dr. Megan, I got to ask you, have you had a moment in your therapy these last couple of years since we've talked that has just been an incredibly powerful, just for you as a therapist, aha moment with your gaming therapy. I, I'm going to share instead of the the therapy groups personally. Mm-hmm. Um, some so there's been a few things. So uh, clinical role, which is the live play uh, game that I play with geeks like us, we're on um, hiatus between seasons. We are about to start uh, campaign two. Uh, and we've paused for reasons that have happened in January of 2023 <laughs> and are on indefinite hold until the waters clear up a little bit. <laughs> um, but you know, seeing how that game brought people together and seeing the connections that are made and like seeing how it, a game can give you something that you need in a moment. Um, there were many times where the cast we would get on for sound you know sound and video check about a half hour before we would go live and just chit chat and tell stories and you know usually jack would tell us like some sort of big thing 80s trivia stuff um but like if somebody was going through something and man like man this week's been a lot you know the question would be like what do you need tonight like i've got a game planned but who cares if you just need to go slay some monsters you're gonna get ambushed like that's gonna what what do you need from the game tonight like if do you need it to not be so heavy do you need it to be like what do you need out of this and like it's really fascinating to see like when we give people that ability to say like what do you need and letting them communicate that and getting to play those things it's just 
it's really cool because like one of the things for me is I work my groups that I run typically are for uh, women and girls and I include uh, trans girls and women in that uh, it's finding that sense of agency, that ability to say what you want and ask for what you want and then to get, hopefully get what you want. As long as it's reasonable, of course, but <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, I want my character to be level 20 and to just worship everyone to worship me. It's like, mm, <laughs> you got to earn that. <laughs> We're going to, we'll get, maybe get there. Um, but just to say like, you know, I, what I really could use tonight is just some fun. Can our characters just have some fun tonight that doesn't have consequences? It's like, well, there might be some consequences, but it's not necessarily negative. But yeah, we can have some fun. We can do some fun things tonight. <laughs> that is wonderful. I love that. Being able to say to the players, what do you need out of this tonight? Um, I think that's I think that says a lot for the game master and his flexibility, her flexibility. Um, but just that openness that communication between the game master and the and the players and i think one of the things that makes I, I think one of the things that takes you from someone who can run the game to an amazing game master is not just that communication but also being able to read the table and say you know what the fun level's going down they're not enjoying mm -hmm. this. This puzzle is is draining. It's not uplifting. Um, I need to change the tempo. I need to add an ambush. I need to move the story in a different direction by adding a new element suddenly. You know, those kind of things. I think that is I think that's a big component to help game masters and dungeon masters really reach that next level and keep that engagement active at the game table completely no i completely agree and it, it it's cool to see that it's in the uh, personal game i play and we're in a murder mystery arc right now and our gm sort of like never again <laughs> <laughs> like there are so many times where out of character we're like i don't know what we're doing <laughs> like i'm sorry we're lost i am so lost like, who are we supposed to talk to? <laughs> you know, and it, it's just it's very funny to be able to have those moments of like, and I, uh, you know, to remember too as the game master too that you you get to see the big picture. You know, it's mm -hmm. like you could see like your players are right next to the answer button, and the players are like, I don't, I don't know what's in. Let's leave this room. I don't know why we're in the room. <laughs> it's just like. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to keep that perspective shift and to be flexible, you know, learning how to be adaptable. It's one of the things I do talk about is that improv is really important. I know that recently I've been seeing a lot of the D&D, &D, like, or not just D&D, &D, but like the tabletop GMing tips and stuff, trying to be like, steer away from the role play, you know, the all of that stuff, the uh, all the improv things. It's okay if you're not good at improv. And I'm like, you don't need to be an improv actor. Yeah. Right. But you do need to be flexible. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to bend and move and take your story and rip it up and throw it away and go, this is a much more interesting story. Yes. Like, I, I think I talked about this last time, but I, I love Sly Flourish's Lazy Dungeon Master approach of like, write it all on a three by five card. And if it goes awry, well, it was just a three by five card. It's okay. <laughs> That's right. And that, you know, as, as parents, as adults, we don't have 
you know, three weeks to work on that dungeon crawl anymore. We don't have that kind of time to like world build uh, to the point where it's a novel. Um, we're, we're, we don't have that kind of uh, availability. And because of that, I think it's much, uh, I think as I've gotten older as a, as a game master, I've gotten, it's been easier for me to say, okay, here's a basic outline of how I think the story will go tonight. And it's so much easier to move and bend and adjust that outline than it is a novel that I'm trying to make players play through. So, so Dr. Megan, before I let you go, what is your advice for the folks at home listening? And maybe they're in school or going back to school for clinical psychology, and they are excited about this new pioneering way of therapy. What is your advice on how they can get started? Well, uh, read the book for sure. And if you're in school and you have access to an IRB, so internal review board, uh, do research. There's none. Go get published. Like, it's new breaking research. Like, it's very, very publishable. (laughs) Um, But there's lots of training programs out there. I've helped develop the one through Geek Therapeutics. Uh, Other groups have them as well, like uh, Game to Grow, Bahana Group. I I think there's one in England as well. Um, I can't remember for sure. But there's lots of training out there. Go get trained. Go work with people. You, If you are an unapologetically enthusiastic person about tabletop gaming and psychology, you are not alone. There are not a ton of us, but a fair number of us out there. And we're growing. And just this is such a powerful, powerful tool. One of the things that I talk about that I think is really impactful with therapeutic gaming is it gets people to show up. Um, we're therapists, like we've done enough research. We know what we're doing. We're pretty darn good at this point. Like for most diagnoses, most things out there, we're pretty good at what we do. The problem is is getting the clients to show up because working on your stuff, looking at the, you know, the parts of yourself you might not like, that's really, really hard. Turning it into a game though. Where it's your character teaching you lessons and you getting that emotional distance and getting to roll some dice and tell some stories while you also learn and grow and change. That's fun. And that gets people to show up. And that is freaking powerful. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Megan. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It is always an honor and a pleasure to have you on. And we're so glad we could have you back. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be here. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Raised on D&D Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow on all your favorite apps and social media.